There's a lot of things that we could do this morning. Um, there's a lot of ways that we could uh, conduct a worshipful service, but uh, the thing that we need most is the Word of God. Amen? Um, in times of trials and struggle and tribulation, uh, there's one thing, as Pastor John mentioned earlier, that just never fails, and that is God's Word. And so we've been studying the Gospel of John, and uh, we find ourselves this morning in John 18, 28 through 38. I know your worship God says through 40, but we're going to stop in 38. Next week, Lord willing, uh, we will look at just 38 through 40 as uh, kind of the, the, the great substitute. And we'll talk a lot about substitutionary atonement. All right, you can do some research on that this week uh, if that's a new term and phrase uh, for you. But uh, Lord willing, we'll look at that next week uh, as we see God himself uh, take the place of the wicked, which then applies to each and every one of us. So John 18, 28 through 38 is where we are this morning. I'm going to read this for us. I'll be reading from the ESV and would ask you to follow along uh, with open word in front of you. John 18, 28 through 38, would you hear now the word of God? Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and said, uh, outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you so much for this day, with all of the highs and lows of this life, the difficulties that often envelop 
us. We just ask God for you to help us. We need your help to see your word clearly. We need your help to guide and direct each and every step. Lord, we know that your word is powerful. We know that your word speaks, and so we ask this time that it would do just that, that it would convict those that may have walked in here haughty, self-righteous, that may think they have no need for the great Savior to which we are looking to today. I pray for those that are heavy laden, those that are weary. I pray, God, that you would lift them up as they gaze upon the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, simply I ask what we know not you would teach us, and what we are not you would make us, and what we have not you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So the Bible tells us that since the beginning of creation, there has been an ongoing battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, humanity has been caught in the tension of this battle as we navigate the complexities of living in a world that is under the sovereign control of God and at the same time influenced by Satan. A survey of Old Testament Heroes reminds us of the ongoing conflict. Consider with me for a moment Moses and Pharaoh, Daniel versus King Darius, David versus Goliath, Samson versus the Philistines, the many battles of Abraham, Joshua, Gideon. I mean, the list goes on and on. In our text today, we see a clear picture of good versus evil as we witness the stark contrast between the unblemished purity of Jesus Christ and the sinful depravity of man. The title of today's sermon is A Clash of Two Kingdoms. And what I want to do is point out some of the characteristics of the two kingdoms on display as we look at this text. Now, if we were to boil down the two kingdoms into phrases, we would say, one, the kingdom of man, and on the other hand is the kingdom of God. As a quick reminder for anyone who may be joining us for the first time today, Jesus is on the way to the cross. He's just been betrayed by one of his disciples. He's been arrested and has gone through an unjust trial at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders in which they physically abused him while he was tied. And while this is happening, his main man, his lead disciple, The one who said, I will never betray you, Jesus, has denied him. Denied him three times to be exact. Ultimately abandoning him by word and deed. And John doesn't record all of the back and forth between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Uh, The other gospel writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
provide the details of those events. However, it is important to note that Jesus has been through a full night of interrogation. In fact, his appearances before Jewish authorities have had three different phases, back and forth and back again. The 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark gives us the details that lead to John's account in our text today. You can turn there if you would like as we look at verses 61 through 65 in the Gospel of Mark. But let me read this for us so we know exactly where we are in this story. Verse 61 says, But he remained silent and made no answer. So this is while he's being interrogated by the Jewish leaders. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I mean, Jesus just clearly states, I am God. I am the Son of the living God. Then in verse 63, we see the the anger of these high priests. I mean, they are just full of hostility towards Jesus. It says, and the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. So they're physically attacking him. They're disrespecting him by spitting in his face. And then they are mocking him like, oh, you just said your God will prophesy then. And then the guards received him with blows. They beat Jesus down. They essentially torture him before the great torturing on the cross. The Sanhedrin, which was the supreme court of the Jews, they they took our Savior. They wrongly find him guilty of blasphemy. And then they proceed to take him to the Roman authorities to do the dirty work of execution. And John picks up the story here. The first characteristic we see in this story is the gross hypocrisy of the kingdom of man. The gross hypocrisy of the kingdom of man. Look at verse 28. So then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So these Jewish leaders have brought Jesus to the Roman headquarters. The current military governor, Pilate, uh, was located. Now, Pilate's normal headquarters was in Caesarea, It was in the palace that Herod the Great had built for himself. 
Uh, But then him and the other leaders that were before and after him, they would go to Jerusalem during all of the religious feasts so that they could make sure that the crowd didn't get too unruly, uh, that they didn't cause any riots. So they would make their presence known in Jerusalem only during those times. That's why Pontius Pilate is there. And John tells us that they themselves, which are the Jewish leaders, return to enter, or refuse to enter Pilate's headquarters because they themselves don't want to be defiled. Or in other words, they don't want to be made unclean according to ceremonial uncleanness. Why? Well, why is this? Why would they make this stand? Well, the Mishnah, which is the Jewish law book, we talked about that a little bit last week, states that Jews who entered into the dwelling places of Gentiles, which would be anyone who isn't a Jew, would then be determined ceremonial unclean. The simplest way to understand this is that many Jews at this time had become racially charged. They'd become racially motivated. They had developed hatred toward anyone who wasn't like them, who was not a Jew, all of the Gentiles. And then they manipulated the Old Testament scriptures to then fit their narrative as to how they should engage with those around them. They created additional laws that God never put into place. I want you to take a moment and notice the gross hypocrisy here. These men are taking the true Passover lamb, the Messiah himself, who has come to free their people from the bondage of sin and death, And they're handing him over to be executed after they have unjustly tried him, beat him, and have broken all of their laws. But now they've decided, we can't go in there. We can't enter into this house of Gentiles because we then won't be able to observe the Passover feast. They worried about the wrong things, didn't they? I mean, going into the Gentile house, that's what's going to make them unclean? That's what's going to defile them? I mean, any logical thought would show that what they have done is evil, is wrong. This is exactly what Jesus was addressing in Matthew when he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear. Look at that. You appear to be people that are righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. J.C. Ryle is helpful here. Quote, a religion that makes a man neglect 
the weightier matters of daily holiness and separation from the world and consecrate his whole attention on forms, sacraments, ceremonies, and public services is to say the least very suspicious. In quotes. Where do we see this type of hypocrisy in our day? I want to give you a couple of examples that I would say are very prevalent in the modern day evangelical world. One, we often see a lot of emotionalism without the pursuit of true holiness, right? We see people that claim to be spiritual, but their lives are full of continued habitual sin. Sure, when they get around their Christian friends, sure, when they come to public worship places, they lift their hands and they get emotionally stirred up. But there's no true pursuit of holiness daily in their lives. Many of the progressive churches of our day will boast in their musical abilities, but they fail to rightly divide the word of God. They pick and choose what will be taught to to please those within their congregation. Rather than saying, we must allow the Bible to govern our thoughts and our deeds. We also see many times in our day and age, pragmatism with no desire for faithfulness. Pragmatism just means like you just do whatever works. You do what gets the people there. You do whatever makes everyone happy in order to obtain a large crowd. We'll see throughout this church calendar season, see many people, they might observe even Lent. Some of you know what Lent is. Some of you don't. I won't spend time talking about it. But you'll see people that will observe these kind of uh, man-made different uh, ceremonies and religious practices. But at the heart of their worship, they fail to regularly practice faithful day in and day out obedience to God's word. It's a show. It's a facade. In short, it's hypocrisy. It's a question I pose for us this morning. Is your faith based on external expressions or an internal desire for Christ and Christ-likeness? I mean, do you desire to be sanctified, to be changed, to let go of the things of this world and to be more like Christ in every area of your life. Listen, most pleasing to God is a life of simplistic obedience. The mundane, the day in and day out obedience to God's word. 
Listen, it's a lot easier, I've said this before, to, to go across the ocean and spend two weeks sharing the gospel than it is to be faithful in our daily prayer and reading of God's word for two weeks, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's so easy to do things that gain the attraction of the public eye. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. We should do those things. But what I'm saying is that we must be a people that are marked by true obedience to God's word day in and day out. We need the word of God. We need prayer. We need to exercise the one another's serve one another. That's why it's important that we gather together. We know each other. We serve one another. Next we see the convenient allegiance of the kingdom of man. The convenient allegiance of the kingdom of man. Verses 29 through 31 we read, So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So Pilate uh, kind of acquiesces here. He goes out and kind of says, all right, you won't come in. I'll come out to you. He starts the official hearing in the right way by saying, what charge do you have against this man? I mean, that's the way that any true judicial hearing is to be said, to start. What's the charge? What accusations do you have? And instead of giving their charge, we see the Jewish leaders question Pilate here. Remember, they've found him guilty of blasphemy in their own little way of manipulation. But they say here, why are you questioning our integrity? Like, If we brought him here, don't you think he's already guilty? See, they don't want a trial. They want an execution. They want Pilate to to just do whatever they would have him do. Pilate did the right thing. I mean, Pilate, for one time in his life, he, he got this right. He questions them. I mean, they're acting ignorant and hypocritical. Pilate goes on and he tells them, well, just kill him yourself. If this is what you think should happen, then you have the green light to kill Jesus. Now, this is especially important because Rome had taken the right of capital punishment away from the Jews many years before. And they know this. They know exactly what's going on here. Remember, they've tried to kill Jesus before. 
They they tried to get to Jesus, but uh, by the power of the Spirit, uh, Jesus got away. Also, if you recall, they didn't care much about the Romans' authority when they stoned Stephen to death, did they? That happens a few years after this. So them saying here that, well, no, we're going to follow and obey the rules and guidelines, the law of Rome is just a convenient way for them to try and get what they want. But look at verse 32. Because God is in complete control. We read that this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Two things to take into consideration here. Jewish capital punishment was by stoning. Okay? When someone is stoned, they would get thrown down, either just on the ground or sometimes they would throw them over a cliff. They would then throw boulders on top of them to make sure they were dead. It was a being knocked down, put down. Roman capital punishment was by what? A cross, lifted up. Uh, the, a lot of reasons why they would do this, but one of the things that uh, really important to think about is uh, because then they felt that, that the person being crucified, not only was he on public display and shamed and disgraced, but he was also far enough away from humanity, not on the ground, but also not into the heavens. Essentially saying, you're in between and there's no one to help you. We have enacted ourselves as God. So Jesus has to do one of those things. And if we remember, looking back in John chapter 12, you can turn there with me. In verse 27, we remember what Jesus has said. Some of you already know before we even turn there. Verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What he's talking about here is he knows he's going to the cross. He's said, Now the hour has come where I have to go and die. And this is what he says. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice came for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And then 32, here's the kicker. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then John writes that he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus prophesied his own death. He prophesied exactly how he would die. And this is remarkably important, friends. Maybe you're here and you're just trying to figure out this whole Bible thing. Like, 
does this thing really make sense? Is, Is this true? Well, let this be an encouragement to you. If Jesus fails to follow through with any detail, if, if he gets one iota wrong, if he says one thing wrong in his life, then he's not who he says he is. Here, we see Jesus Christ is in complete control of his death. The Jews think that they're, they figured this out. They, they've done things their way, that they're going to have it in the way that they would like, and Rome's going to do their dirty work. But all along, we see God's sovereign hand at work. Friends, we can have confidence in this word. We can have confidence in our Savior. Jesus Christ is clearly who he says he is. If it doesn't happen this way, if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, Christianity falls flat. Jesus is a liar. He's not God. He's just a man who was out of his mind, who said some really ridiculous things. But what this shows us is that Jesus knew exactly his time, his way, and knew exactly the way that he would be raised again when it would happen. Jesus knew this. What we will see is that even when sinful men think they are at work, it is really God at work. See, despite man's attempts to rule and reign, they are nothing but mere pawns in the hands of the one true living God, the creator of all things, that continually holds all things together by the power of his word. Proverbs 21.1 tells us, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Christian, that is your God. So let me just make this really applicable to this church body. There's many people going through many things right now. It often seems as if, like, we're losing. Like, we're, we're, we're struggling so much that, like, I just don't understand how we can make it through. Like, how can these things be happening? But through it all, we trust that there is a God who is sovereign over every single detail in our lives. And that he is working all things together for the good of those who are his, who love him, who have shown themselves to be his by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That is the promise to Christians. If you are not a believer today, that promise is not for you, but it can be. By repenting and believing, placing your faith in Christ and Christ alone. We have hope because we hope in a God who is sovereign. Too many times we've kind of trivialized God and, you know, the big guy upstairs and some spiritual being. No, God is all authoritative, sovereign over every single detail 
There is no rebel molecule. There is no leaf that falls from the tree without God saying, drop. Scripture reminds us that we should not be anxious for anything because even the sparrow who does not work, sow, reap, they don't do nothing. But your heavenly Father, he provides for them. How much more will he provide for us as his people? The Imago Dei, made in his image, his chosen, redeemed, those whom he's cast his love upon in a particular way to draw us to redemption. Praise be to God. Many pick and choose to align with the world when it's convenient for them, though. So the question that we would need to ponder as we reflect on this section of this text is, how about us? What about you? Are you conveniently aligning yourself with the kingdom of man when it works out best for your desires? I mean, that's what we see the Jews doing here. They've the, lined themselves with Rome. They've now acquiesced to, to Rome's laws and said, yeah, we'll, we'll follow them here because it works out for me. If you are aligning yourself with the world when it's convenient for you, it could be a sign that you are aiming to build your kingdom and not his. Think about your life, friends. Are you making decisions based on God's word or your word? Is it your favorite influencer that guides and directs your thoughts? Or is it meditation on the words of God and the counsel of those that God has placed in your life who know you? It's easy to find sound bites that fit our agenda. It's easy to find things to justify our sin. It's easy to, to find uh, thoughts that would say like, sure, go ahead and do that. You can do it once, you can do it twice, but remember as we saw last week with Peter, it's a slippery slope, my friends. One compromise here, one alliance, allegiance with the world there. And soon we find ourselves the front door of grotesque sins that we never thought we would be involved with. Now, many of you may be continually in relationships that are crossing lines that you shouldn't be crossing. And let me just tell you, because I love you, stop. Make war. Do what you have to do to, to stop whatever sins you may be committing. Maybe it's you're watching things that you have no business watching. That could be in the form of pornography or even just the, the filth of movies and TV series that we see today. 
allegiance of man's kingdom when it satisfies your desires. I just want to veg out and binge watch my favorite show when you know it's full of corruption. You know that there's nothing spiritually attainable in spending your time that way. For some, it may be just constant overload of social media. Friends, we are Christians. May we be people that live like it. Third and finally, we see the absolute truth of God's kingdom. Actually, it's not finally. I added another point. Third, but it'll be a, it'll be a quick one. Third, we see the absolute truth of God's kingdom. So we've seen a lot of man's kingdom, the hypocrisy, the allegiance conveniently aligned with, with the wor- world. And here in these uh, next few verses, we see this back and forth with Jesus and Pilate. And we ultimately see Jesus waving the banner of truth. Now, here what we're going to do is, is kind of slow down and, and work our way through these verses one by one just because it is a back and forth, a back and forth. Verse 33 John writes, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? I mean, he's essentially saying, okay, well, well Pilate, is, is this something that, that you think? Is, is this something that, that you've come to terms with, or are you just the mouthpiece of the Jews here? Pilate doesn't like this. Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Now, the original Greek here, like, he is angry. He is very frustrated that Jesus would say anything remotely close to putting him in this category. Am I a Jew? Do I look like a Jew? Do I sound like a Jew? He's mad. He goes on and Pilate says, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? There's a lot of different situations that Pilate has been in throughout his time as governor and leader of uh, Rome and his position. Uh, Pilate's, uh, really his rule is marked by failure and cruelty. He would fail. He would do a lot of dumb things. We won't spend time talking about it. You can look it up on your own. But he did a lot of dumb, ridiculous things. And then what he would do is he would enact cruelty to kind of uh, alleviate his, his dumbness. <laughs> like, I made this mistake, uh, what should we do? Let's kill some people. Oh, I, I made this mistake, what should we do? Let's just pretend like it didn't happen and we'll call something else over here to kind of distract those involved. 
I mean, Pilate was a fool. And the reason why he is appeasing the Jews in this situation basically is because he's on thin ice. See, Pilate had some rule and reign, but that was given to him by the current Caesar. So Pilate knows if I do one more thing and the Jews then go complain about me, they they might remove me from my territory. They might take away my power. So Pilate is willing to compromise. He's willing to lie. He's willing to do things that he should not be doing. So he's trying to point it back. What have you done? He essentially wants Jesus to to kind of indict himself. To say, I've done this. That's why they want to kill me. They just found me guilty of blasphemy. So, you know, do your thing. But here's what Jesus says. Verse 36 tells us, Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus essentially says, I am a king, but my kingdom is different. We do things different. I do things different. If you recall, Jesus has just stopped Peter in the garden from starting an all-out war. Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus, and Jesus says, no, we're not going to do this this way. He heals his ear. He says, things have to happen in the way that my kingdom says. Jesus says, I am a king. And he states his kingship, but states the different approach that his kingdom has up and against the kingdom of the world. So Pilate said to him, so you are a king, in verse 37. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And then look at this. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Then he goes on and says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It is the truth of Christ that is on display. The purity, the innocence of Jesus. He he says, I'm of the truth. Nothing's going to change that. Look also there where he says, I was born. Uh, This would mention his incarnation, uh, showing his humanity. He also says, I have come into the world. This shows us his eternality, his divinity. This is the man God on display. 
And he says that everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Remember back in the earlier part of John where John says, or writes Jesus' words where he says that my sheep hear my voice. They, they come to me. They know me. I mean, John has been painting this clear distinction, the stark contrast between the unbelieving world and God's people all along. And now Jesus lays out the, the firm, simplistic understanding of what it means to be his. They obey him. They, they trust him. You want to know if someone is a Christian? Do they listen to Jesus? Do they trust Jesus Christ? Have they put their faith in Christ and Christ alone? Do they live by the truth of Jesus' words? We all know the Great Commission. We're to make disciples. How do we do that? By preaching, teaching them about the word of God. We're to then baptize them after they've made a profession of faith. And, and we've seen evidence of their regeneration. We say they are believers. I want to show that to the world. Jesus says, teach them to what? Obey. The mark of a true disciple is obedience to Christ. Trusting in the truth. Resting in the word of God and God alone. Because our fourth observation and characteristic is there is a rejection of truth by the kingdom of man. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? See, that is the state of the unbelieving world, friends. They reject truth. They're continually groping, looking, searching for truth. The Christian's motto is, we have found the truth, we want to live by the truth, and we want to know more of the truth. We want to grow in our understanding of who Christ is. Response is this. What kingdom are you living for? What kingdom has your allegiance If you are not living in alignment, submission, the kingdom of God, as I mentioned earlier, there is one simple way. See, the gospel is the great news. It's a declaration that even if you have been walking in rebellion to God, that today you can be transferred into that kingdom of his by repenting of your sins, turning away, confessing all that you have done, that you have been in rebellion to him, 
believing in Jesus Christ as your only substitute, your only way to reconcile a broken relationship between you and God. And then living a life in submission to him. Let me just make sure that I uh, make a clear statement. You will not meet perfection here. It's an ongoing life of sanctification. But it starts with trusting in Jesus. Prayerfully asking God to work in your heart. Kids, teens, don't wait. Trust in Jesus every moment for your life now and for your eternal being. So there's two kingdoms that are still at war. And we live in the tension of what's happening. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, I want to just read this for us. For Christians, here's what we do. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that's what's happening. Here's what we do. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. I mean, that is our only hope, that we have faith in Christ. When we fail, faith in Christ. We're up against the schemes of the world, faith in Christ. And he says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, meaning we need to pray for one another and also for me. He goes on talks about his own ministry there. But this is our call as Christians in the battle in which we are in. We don't take up the swords of our enemy. We, we take up the word of God. We trust the word of God. Listen, we are called to engage with the world around us. We're not called to just 
go put ourselves in our Christian huddles and, and never engage with the world. We're called to be involved. We're called to proclaim the majesty of Christ in every situation. We're never told in Scripture to sit back and watch the world burn. We're called to be active. No, we see this clash of kingdoms. We, we know it's happening. You've got to be just completely oblivious to the world around you to not see the evil at work. But we know who is ultimately in charge, don't we? It is our God. And we must live as people who know that the battle is won. It is over. And while God allows certain things to happen until the return of Christ, we rest in the fact that his kingdom will not fail. His kingdom is alive. And it's working through us as his people. Blaise Pascal a great philosopher once said, quote, truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Question for you as we invite the band back to the stage to lead us in a final song is do you love the truth? Are you living by the truth. So take a few moments to ponder and think and talk to the Lord as we prepare to sing a final song. Father God, we, we thank you so much for your kindness, your mercy to us. You have given us far greater than we ever could deserve. We thank you that Christ is bore the wrath of our sin and that he has declared victory over sin and death. And we can live in light of that. But while we are here in this world, may we continue to press on, to move towards the goal of knowing Christ and him crucified, proclaiming the lordship of Christ in every area of our lives. Lord, I pray that nothing would be lost on us today, that those that may not know Jesus as their Savior would come to faith in him by repentance through your grace and mercy, through your spirit at work. Help us, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen.